Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for dads in their 40s who want to improve their health and fitness. This is episode 73, and we welcome back on today's show, Paul Hobra. We're going to be discussing about injuries and how we can overcome them and also what we can do to prevent them from happening in the first place. Hi, Paul. Thanks very much for coming back onto the podcast today. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. And you? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Very well. Back into lockdown 2.0, as everyone's calling it, which is just madness. But it is what it is, unfortunately, isn't it? Well, the fact they've got to put a number on it, you know, makes you wonder whether we're going to have 3.0 and, yeah. and so on. But the, the point is, is nobody knows, do they? That, that not even the people at the very top of the tree, everyone's flying blind. And so, you know, we just have to do what we can to yeah. follow the rules and, and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. But obviously, that's not the topic of conversation today. I've done that to death on this podcast. I'm actually <laughs> thinking about talking about it. But today is really. Um, to, for you to, for us to talk about injuries really and I asked obviously you to come back on you're on in some earlier episodes and it, it's become a common theme that I'm seeing with people in our community people that are buying the programs now that loads of people or loads of guys 40s are struggling so much with injuries long-term injuries whether or not that's prevented them exercising or they've picked it up since they've started to exercise so what I really want to get into today is is the common things that you see in your practice um, and the stuff that you do and why you think that is and what we can do to kind of mitigate against it really. Sure. Well, the, the first um, completely unscientific fact that I'm going to give you is that in the first two years of somebody's running journey, be it they, they start for the first time or in fact they return to running after a layoff. Um, and particularly for for your podcast a lot of that seems to happen you're running well you have kids that keep you awake all night and then you know two or three years down the line you you finally feel ready to get back to running Um, and those first two years as your body is adapting and adjusting which it will do um, you tend to pick up the majority of these overuse injuries so uh, in answer to your question the most common uh, is the knee always Uh, very closely uh, linked behind that is the Achilles tendon in the back of the heel. Right, and yeah. then we get, we get other things like uh, plantar fasciopathy or plantar fasciitis, as it's more commonly known, which is the heel pain, uh, shin splints, and, and then really you're on to various muscle pulls like calf or hamstring or, yeah. or, or things like that. And just across the whole population, not just for runners, Low back pain is is a significant one, yeah. uh, and another stat which which is backed up by science actually is that eighty percent of the world's population will have a significant back complaint, and by significant, I mean it will keep you off work or your hobbies okay. or um, at least once in their lifetime. 
Wow. Um, but 98% of low back pain is not serious at all. Right. Uh, and so that, although 80% of us will suffer from it, there's a, there's a minute percentage where it will be something that's really serious. So um, in terms of what we see, yeah, it's heel, um, shin, knee would uh, be the most common. And then yeah. for everybody, it's low back. Okay. So the first thing that I want to pick up on then, Paul, is something which I believe to be quite simple and straightforward, but is quite common, and that's shin splints. The reason I say it's quite simple is the general remedy to that, I've learned, is that it could be your running shoe. So what, what's your answer to that? Yeah, so uh, I would probably put running shoes as, as low down as I possibly could on the, right. the factors associated to injury. However, you make a really valid point with, with shin splints in that what, what people are doing to wind up their, the inside of their shin is they tend to have a very fast heel pronation. Now, right. pronation isn't a bad thing. It's a natural movement of, of, of the foot. And we need pronation, otherwise yeah. we run like a duck. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. one of the, the good things about the foot movement. Um, and it was really vilified in the, in the 90s and, and early 2000s, but we need to get away from pronation being a bad thing. But it's, it's to do with the speed of movement of the rear foot and that medial longitudinal arch, what everybody calls the arch. There's, there's two key arches in the foot, but the long arch along the middle of the foot is the medial longitudinal arch. And how that is affected by that movement of the rear foot and so you find some, some really, really good runners that have got a lot of rear foot and, and the, the medial longitudinal arch pronation, and it's not a problem because their body's adapted to it. However, yeah. if, let's say, we take an individual who has, has come back from you know, becoming a new parent, maybe he's got yeah. a bit more of a dad bod and, and is, is getting into running to maybe address that, um, then there's extra force going through that, that, that role of the foot. And that can create an issue with a muscle that's deep in behind the shin bone called tibialis posterior. Right. And what tibialis posterior does, it, it runs just tucked in behind the, the shin bone on the inside and then takes a journey under the foot. And on the outside of the leg, there's the perineal muscle, perineal longus. And that kind of does the same thing but goes under the foot on the other side and they cross over before they attach and they act a bit like stirrups on a, on a horse in terms of how you manage the foot. Now, if you end up with this increased stress on the one on the inside, the tibialis posterior, yeah. that can become very unhappy. I won't start talking about inflammation or, or other different terms, which can yeah. have misleading uh, <laughs> consequences, but it becomes very, very unhappy. And that, uh, through a process of, of different um, biological factors can lead to intense pain in that lower one-third of the shin. So if you look to reduce down some of that moment at the rear foot with a particular type of shoe that's got just a fraction more um, built up on the inside or yeah. there are some great little inserts you can get, um, that can change the fortunes of that person that's suffering with shin splints quite dramatically and quite quickly. Now, okay. I'm, I'm really keen to point out that isn't the fix. No. That, that's the band-aid. Yeah? yeah. 
And actually, the, the fix is to start to help to strengthen that muscle, tibialis posterior, and yeah. start to think about the mobility around the ankle, the knee, the hip, the core strength, and everything that links into your body's ability to naturally control your foot strike. Right. And uh, as, as a, a course of, of running, many people will find they start to gain the necessary strength in these areas, uh, and, and people may well start to lose a little bit of the of the dad bod and then there's less strain going through it um and usually shin splints is something that's relatively easy to to cut off um uh, and stop people having to worry about it so much but it does require quite a bit of strength conditioning and it's normally because the lack of running that that precedes this has yeah. meant that that muscle has, has not continued on its strengthening program. You don't need it as much when you're walking, right. you know, one to one and a half times your body weight when you're walking, two and a half to three times your body weight when you're running. So the, yeah. the, the increase in strain on these muscles it becomes a lot more significant. Yeah, and I think that's an important point to make, and it's something that I've learned over the period of years, and it's the strengthening and the maintenance, which I think is very key, because... What tends to happen, well, from my experience anyway, is you get injured, you have an injury, and it's in an area. So for, like I just said before we, we started recording, I, I, I hurt my back uh, just by doing a, a bodyweight squat. But what I then subsequently learned is it's my right knee that's the problem, that's causing the issue. And so the reason I mention that is because I now obviously need to go through a period of getting that knee stronger, whether it's mobilization, whether it's, um, you know, um, kind of mobility, that kind of stuff. Um, but that's, the, so when, if, if someone's listening to this thinking, well, I've got shin splints, I just need to fix that. What I'm trying to say is that I think you have to do some investigation work to find out where that's coming from and what stuff you need to do once you've alleviated the shin splints. So it's not just a case of, right, my shin splints are now fine. I can just carry on. It's, I think it's very important to make sure that you're doing that strengthening work so you don't have other issues. Yeah, I mean, um, strengthening and, and stretching, to me, um, are vitally important with with strengthening work just having the edge on the level of importance stretching's had a um a, an interesting scientific path over the, the recent years yeah um and i did a lot of research uh, for my most recent book which is uh, the runner's expert guide to stretching and we looked at at the science that surrounds stretching um and and it's pretty equivocal actually around um science's ability to prove that it is is necessary and, and most of that looks around performance which is is difficult when you're a physio you're looking at the biomechanics of the body and you're doing functional assessments of people that come in all the time yeah frankly if someone doesn't have the correct range of movement to be able to use their strength or their explosive power then flexibility becomes a massive hindrance and almost Therefore, if they've got the strength, but they don't have the range of movement to use it effectively, stretching becomes the more powerful tool. Yeah. If they're very, very flexible and lack strength everywhere, then put the stretching to one side and let's concentrate on strength. It, and mm. I, I refer, um, you know, the human body, I talk about it being like a bicycle wheel, a 32-spoke bicycle wheel. 
And, and if somebody brought the bicycle wheel in um, because it was buckled and you found that there was one loose spoke and another yeah. spoke was really, really tight, you would neither loosen all the spokes nor tighten all the spokes. You'd tighten the looser one and you'd take a bit of tension out of the really, really tight one. And the human body is the same. Yeah. Getting a really good assessment to understand where you need a little bit of tension and strength and where you need to alleviate a little bit of tension, frankly, for me, is the only way to, to take that person forwards. And the assessment can take rather a long time. Mm-hmm. And what the person comes in is they just want a quick fix. And so, yeah. sure, we can put a little wedge in the shoe. We can tell you to do some toe raises for your shin splints and, and whatnot. But ultimately, you, you need to um, sort of deconstruct the person a little bit if you don't want that person to become a frequent flyer coming in for the next injury and the next injury because you didn't address the fact yeah. that the right glute max wasn't firing. And, and that's the, or, or in your case, you know, the knee um, isn't functioning as well as it should do, ergo you get some back pain, which mm. people find difficult to compute. But yeah. just think of, of your house. If the foundations are slipping on one side, you notice it because the roof tiles slide off, not because you notice the foundation. Yeah. And it stands up in all elements of engineering. So why would the human body be any different to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I use the car analogy a lot around, you know, how a lot of the elements of a car all work together and so therefore you know that's the same thing in the human body isn't it probably even more so i would say but uh, yeah no i think it's good and i think it's having that realization and understanding because i think the what i believe is is the downside to running paul is that because it is so easily accessible and i'm not knocking anybody for for running but they you know you just go out and do it it's like well i can run anyone can run well, that's like saying anyone can paint a house. Well, anyone could paint a house, but what quality of paint are you going to get on your house if anyone does it? So it's, it's kind of, it's about quality over quantity, I think. Um, but like I said, because it is so easy, you've got to put a pair of running shoes on and shorts and a t-shirt and you go out running. But, you know, it's, it's kind of really stepping back before you do it and thinking about, well, how, you know, when was the last time I run? How was I running before? And really, should I just go out and just try and do a 5k run? The answer I would give is probably not, you know, you need to start gradual. And that's, that's what I think that doesn't necessarily create injuries. It it just shows up, I believe, imbalances in the body and your movement and your functional movement or the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if I were to have my own way with every individual that came in and said, I want to take up running. If, mm. if anybody was going to follow my laboriously long program, mm. um, then they would start off doing 95% of their time would be spent doing strength conditioning work. Yeah. And 5% of their time would be running. Yeah. And, and then they would move that to a 90, 10 ratio, then, you know, maybe 80, 20. And gradually they would bring in the running element, having, uh, a chance to sort out all of the musculoskeletal and biomechanical insufficiencies that their body has created. And, yeah. you know, if I, if I were to, to pick on a, a, you know, small collection of people that take to running from other sports, people that played a lot of football, or if this goes out internationally, soccer, yeah. um, <laughs> then, um, th- then you find that a very, very right-footed player, because they plant their left foot, when they go to kick the ball, yeah. they've got a lot of 
of control strength when they're running with that left foot. Right. But their right hip has been a, a huge increase in mobility because you really pull back the trigger of that foot and then fire it right through, which the, the left leg just doesn't do. And you repeat that action over and over again and you've got two sides to your body that are now trying to do exactly the same action every single step. Yeah. And yet they're not trained that way for their whole life. Dancers and gymnasts have what we call a, a fairly large lordosis curve in the lower back. Their, their back arch curves in, right. which makes it really easy for them to activate their glute muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that their anterior core is, is working as well as it should do in running. And it tends to give them almost this posterior stride. They don't tend to um, you know, put their foot at anywhere near the front uh, of where we might consider that they want to stride to. And, yeah. and you can almost, when somebody comes into clinic and you just look at the, their posture, you can almost, um, in many cases, sound like Yoda because you start saying, oh, you've done some uh, ballet in your time or yeah. uh, I can see you've been an avid rugby player or football player. And, you know, if they haven't told you that, it look quite shocked. But yeah. we all know what the archetypal body shapes are of these different people. So it's not because... I'm particularly special at looking at these things. Yeah. If you actually took time to watch people, you know, can't do it so much at the moment in lockdown, but no. watch people walking around. I bet that most people listening to this could become a fairly good judge of, of what that poor person's sporting ambitions have been in the past because yeah. it changes your body shape and the way you walk and the way you stand and uh, adapting that to someone that wants to do um, to very simple moves, a left stride and a right stride, and repeat that many, many times over, that can be a difficult transition. So yeah. that's why we start to give them strength conditioning. I'd like people to do strength conditioning first, almost to prepare themselves. What everyone does, they go out, they run 5K the first session, it feels good. The second time they go out, they run 7 or 8K, and the third time is 10K, and then they wonder why their knee hurts. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I think we touched on that previously in, in, in the previous podcast around, you know, the, strength, the importance of strength and conditioning pre, pre kind of running. But you mentioned there, uh, which is obviously a big area, and I think particularly dads in their forties around knees and knee injuries. You know, you, you said there that when we start running, you put two to three times your normal body weight through the knees. Um, so I, I guess really in a, in a summary – you know, just how impactful is running on the knees and what type of injuries do you see with kind of middle-aged men and, and their knees? Yeah, so, um, so first of all, yeah, two, two and a half to three times your body weight goes through the whole body, but of course that means that you get that through the knee, ankle, hip. Um, but, but the knee particularly is it's a fairly basic hinge joint Right. There's a lot of workings inside the knee. You've, you've got um, various ligaments, um, bursa, which are these little fluid-filled sacs. You've got tendons uh, and muscles running over it. So that the knee is, is simple, but it's got a, a very mobile foot and ankle at one end and a, and a slightly more mobile hip and very mobile um, pelvis and, and lower back above it. So in order for it to do its job, it needs to try and keep that knee flexion and extension bend and straightening um on an even keel and it's actually really difficult to do so the the most common injury we see 
uh, is ITB friction syndrome. The, the iliotibial band or ITB runs down the outside of the leg. It originates from your glute maximus, your big glute, and, and one of the hip flexors, tense fasciolata. Um, and it becomes their tendon and it attaches just below the knee um, onto the tibia. And its job is to help the glute maximus and this hip flexor to control the medial lateral, the inside and outside movement of the knee. So right. if you think about the foot strikes, the knee will bend a little bit more and you yeah. want it to bend with the knee directly over the middle toe. Yeah. But in most cases, it goes to the second toe or even over the big toe or, or worse okay. still, across into the midline of the body. So if we, if we have this happen, then we've got a, a different moment happening around the knee, which causes that IT band to become tight. Yeah. And then it starts to cause some friction on the outside of the knee. And that's where people will first notice it. And the telltale signs are that when you run, this pain on the outside of your knee starts to build up. But when you stop running, it seems to go immediately yeah. because you've stopped the, the friction. And where I fall back to every single time when I'm trying to keep this simple because you're spreading knowledge to lots of people. Yeah. yeah? Um, if so, if it was one-on-one, -on -one, then, then we'd be going into much more depth. But spreading yeah. knowledge to lots of people, the, the single leg squat done well right. will, will help with this more than anything else, which is a strengthening exercise. Yeah. Um, and you need to do it in front of a full-length mirror. Mm -hmm. And you start on, on, you know, with a straight leg and, and the, the other leg is, is kicked up to the back, like you've just back-heeled a football. Right, okay. And you bend the knee only as far as you can before it deviates from, from lying over the middle toe of the foot. Yeah. So as soon as you start to see it coming more into the inline, it, uh, the medial aspect of the leg, then you'd stop and come back up again. And for a lot of runners that are experiencing knee pain, they might get to a maximum of dropping 10 centimeters. Yeah. They really wouldn't. And you think of a single leg squat of your bum going kind of level with the knee or, or close to it. When we run, we need a knee bend of about 65 degrees. Right. So what people need to do is to build up this single leg squat until they get to about 65 degrees. I, see a, I say about 65 degrees because yeah. I'm not expecting people to get their kid's protractor out of their pencil case and start, <laughs> you know, trying to yeah. be. I, I, I know that runners like stats and they like to be yeah. exact. About 65 degrees. Yeah. Um, and, and ITB friction syndrome makes up part of runner's knee. Right. Yeah, so the, the, other, the other side of runner's knee is actually the, what we call patellofemoral pain syndrome. Mm -hmm. So the patella we know is the kneecap. That's a fairly commonly used word. The femur is the thigh bone. And when the patella and the, the, the femur, the thigh bone, come into contact, um, they can also create some, uh, some impact in between those two bones. And that can then start a process of causing patella femoral pain syndrome right um and you notice both of these are called syndromes it's because nobody is 100 percent sure to give it a more accurate diagnosis right. and syndrome means we know something's going on yeah. um but we can't give it a, a really technical diagnosis and really the rehab or prehab is the same for both of those okay one, one and one can lead to the other so yeah. when you're when you're dealing with the knee a lot of people have very, very tight hamstrings. Yep. 
Some people will have tight quadriceps. Right. A great many people will have a loss of movement around the ankle, which in yeah. part is to do with a loss of mobility yeah. around the calf muscles. Um, and, and so when you put all of this together, if we do the single leg squat, we strengthen the quads, we can strengthen the right. hamstrings, we can work on the alignment of the knee by working tense fasciolata, this hip flexor, our glute maximus, our ankle mobility and stability, they're all being worked. Right. So uh, as a first port of call, if you're suffering with knee pain, when you go for a run, essentially you're doing lots and lots of single leg squats, but with impact. Right. So they're more like lots and lots of single leg hops or jumps. Yeah. So, so it stands to reason you want to train this mechanism quite heavily. But, but don't, don't sit there and think, oh, I've got tight hamstrings and I've read something that says stretching doesn't work or, or whatever. Actually go through a process of seeing what your hamstrings are like. Now, this isn't a process of standing with straight legs and seeing if you can touch the floor. <laughs> That's more a test of your pelvic uh, position. Yeah what kind of um, uh, antiverted or, or retrograde hips you were born with um, and, and more about your spinal flexibility. Uh, but ma the majority of this is about how much um, your sciatic nerve wants to put up with. Right. If you want to test your hamstring flexibility, do it with a bent knee. If you stretch your hamstring on a straight leg, you might feel burning behind the kneecap. Yep. And, and I can tell you there's no hamstring muscle behind the kneecap. There's tendons, but not muscle. So that burning pain is, is a sciatic nerve. So you want to learn to try and stretch your hamstrings with a, with a bent knee. So you get a low stool, you put your heel on a low stool, you have a little bit of a bend in your knee, and you see with a straight back how close you can get your chest to your thigh, and you'll feel the stretch build up in the back of the leg where right. the hamstring muscle is, and, and that will be a more helpful gauge as to how flexible your hamstring is. Guess what? Check left against right and you'll find out if one's tight or, or not. Mm. We have a very good gauge of whether that, that bite point, if you like, comes in really, really early on. And then that's, by the way, that test is a very good stretch to do to try and alleviate the problem. Okay. 30 to 60 seconds regularly is about the only, you know, the minimal amount you can do to try and, and adapt that. Quads, can you pull your, your heel up to your backside? Yeah. Um, most people will find they can, but what's the knee position like? Right. So if you can get your, your heel to your backside, but your knee's pointing out in front of you and not in line with the straight leg, then, then that's, a, you know, that's a tight quad. Knees right. must be in line with the heel pulled up. And, and yeah. that's only actually part of the picture because what you're doing is you're, you're showing the, the flexibility of your main rectus femoris muscle that runs down the middle it becomes more complicated and, and perhaps too complicated to talk about on a podcast to yeah. look at the other two. But, um, but, but there, are, there are various resources out there to, to help you test. So rather than trying to be everything to everybody here, do a bit of reading up on how you can test flexibility of these different muscles. Test yourself against, against a buddy. Um, it, it's not great to test against, um, you know, if you're if you're married and and that marriage is to a female and and your <laughs> wife because they yeah. tend to be more flexible by default. Yeah. So see what your flexibility is like against a buddy. Okay. Or look at look at normative values. 
But the biggest thing is to see whether left is equal to right yeah. on all the muscle groups. And you can do that really easily at home without really any reading. Uh, and you'll start to see where your bicycle wheel, where your spokes are, are not yeah. doing the best from my analogy earlier. Yeah, no, I think it's a great analogy. And I think obviously by doing this testing yourself, you can then know prior to you running what you need to do conditioning wise to help your running because you see it so many times people going out running and they it really looks painful for them like they're slogging their way through it when i believe it doesn't need to necessarily be like obviously there's an there's the, the side of fitness that comes into this um being generally fit but it the, but it's like this imbalances you see people with their heads tipped to one side or their you know their bodies twisted when they're trying to run and, and arms all over the place and i'm not criticizing anybody's running technique but what i'm trying to say is obviously what you you've said is is like conditioning understanding where you have imbalances or inflexibility which then can prevent the need for you to go and see people like paul because you've created an injury off the back of the of these other things but just the other thing that i just wanted to go back to paul and that is the single leg squat now i can do a single leg squat but only with it with a trx if i try and do a single leg, leg squat on my own now i do probably in the region of 20 to 30k a week of running i cannot at this point i have the mobility that i have i cannot do a single leg squat you know i can literally probably get down i'd say three or four inches before i you know i'm either really bending forward or stuff like that so what really what i guess what i'm asking is not for any kind of diagnosis but you know what causes that inflexibility that immobility to to not be able to carry that out yeah so you You've got this co-contraction from the muscles. So we spoke a little bit about your IT band and the muscles that kind of operate that. Mm. We've got four quads. We've got three hamstrings. We've got three key calf muscles. If you want to um, say that there's a medial and lateral gastronemus um, and the soleus. And all of those have got to work synergistically together. Mm -hmm. And they've got to do that over a range of movement. Right. And your brain has got to be able to make sense of all this and be able to, um, to change and adapt what's going on as it starts to learn the new skill. So yeah. if I were to try and, and pick out what element was, was specifically wrong with each person, it would be a fool's errand many times because we can start to build this up right. uh, and build it up gradually so that whichever is the weaker muscle is going to be working hardest and wherever we need more flexibility, the very nature of doing the exercise is probably going to get it. So yeah. for you, you found that by using the TRX, very, very useful tool. Yeah. Because yeah. it takes some of your body weight away and gives you a bit of extra balance. Mm -hmm. So if I were to be talking to exactly your scenario and many other people will share it, I would say do as many of the two to three inch um, single leg squats as you can and get to the point where you think oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get close to failure here. Right. Then get a Swiss ball out, the big inflatable gym balls, stick that between your, your mid back and the wall. Right. 
so that you've got some extra balance, but you're mm -hmm. still testing your balance. And then see whether you can do some more single leg squats and possibly even a little bit deeper because you've got that extra balance. Yeah. Um, and then you could move on to maybe using things like the TRX or even some fingertip control on a wall mm -hmm. where you're seeing whether you can, you can do some more. Um, and if you were to do that, you would gradually be building up the strength through the range of movement by using the ball TRX or fingertip yeah. control. And you would notice that you're able to go not just to three inches, but to four inches. And it might take two weeks or two months to get mm -hmm. to that point but you're not wasting your energy or effort just sticking in that, in that little space there. No. And when all of those different tricks come to fruition, you'll suddenly at some point in the future, for some people it might be two days, other people it might be two years. Yeah. We, yeah. we don't know what, what historical things we've got to unpick in each athlete here, but, yeah. um, but you will get there by a process of continuing to do it. And doing it regularly and consistently is the key. Yeah. And just seeing if there's other ways you can develop it. And if you're really struggling with that, then you can use some of these, uh, the stretchy elastic bands, different colored bands. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you can actually lay on your back and you can put one round your foot like a stirrup and you can be doing the single leg squat in, in midair. Yeah. So you're actually controlling it from there and then build up from that point so there's always an earlier starting point you can use yeah. and there's always a more advanced spot where people are putting weights you know on their back or holding dumbbells and doing single leg squats and you can develop and develop and develop into weighted single leg hopping and and, and yeah. squat jumps and stuff it, it the, the strength conditioning the wonderful thing about it is we can start at a very very low level post-surgery just with someone trying to lay on their back and, and push a balloon away yeah. right the way through to you know jumping off a box with weights on our back and, and landing a single leg squat which yeah. I don't recommend anyone does if they <laughs> haven't built up to it no absolutely and I think that that's the other point as well isn't it it's about consistently carrying this out and not expecting the results to come instantly because we all live in this crazy amazon economy world where we you know we do something and we want a result quickly and i think that's I, this couldn't be further from the truth but i think what's important is it's it's consistently doing it over a period of time um before you you know you really start to see some big and it will be big benefits won't it once you've built that strength up yeah so first point on that be prepared to start at your level yeah, you might be the best runner at your club. You right. might be the best runner in the county, country, world. Mm. Start at your level, right? Because everybody has different strengths and different weaknesses. So if you're working on one of your weaknesses, don't be too proud to to lay on the floor and and push a balloon away or, yeah. or to use the theraband. You don't need to go into a weighted squat. Right. The second thing is that. Um, the, the laws that, that relate to, I mean, this is from a very, very long time ago, a, a runner, Frank Dick, his name was, um, uh, that the laws are going to be that, it, that the exercise needs to be specific. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It needs to continually be overloaded. Right. And it's reversible. So you need to, the single leg squat is about as specific as you can get for runners. Yeah. yeah? 
and I'm pleased we're labouring this point because I love the single leg squat and I think everyone should be doing it okay. regularly. Um, it'll take six to eight weeks statistically for you to get any kind of strength benefit okay. from doing it. So don't expect it in it sooner than a couple of months. Right. But after a couple of months, if you don't generate a greater load of some sort, either by going lower into the squat or by adding some weight or taking away some of the balance that you've got, then you'll get diminishing returns because your body needs a constant stimulus. Yeah. And if you stop doing it, you will lose all of those benefits much faster than it took to gain them. Right. So if you spend six months doing it and you get all the benefits, then you stop because you think I've made it in less than six months, you'd have lost all that benefit. Wow. Okay. So you need to keep going with it. But if you're building, 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 and you get to a point where I've been doing this five times a week and I've now got to where I want to be. If you're no longer building it up two or three times a week of, of doing something far more basic will be enough to continue and keep that plateau. Yeah. Which, yeah, it kind of sounds a lot, but it also at the same time makes sense. Again, it comes back to consistency, doesn't it? Consistently doing it over a period of time, you know, will gradually build up the strength in that muscle group or that area um, to, 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 for you to continue to progress. But it's important that you don't just stop, like you said, um, because I think it reverses quicker than it, took to, to build it up in the first place, which I think is quite, quite important to, to recognize really. Um, so move, moving up from there, Paul, when, when we, when we're thinking about, um, like the glutes and we talk, we obviously we've talked about hamstrings and the hips, you know, th- there's a lot of people listening to this who are desk bound and therefore, you know, there, there's this whole kind of movement now around, pardon the pun, but, but around, you know, standing up, I use a standing up desk, sitting down is the new smoking and all this kind of stuff around that whole area. What are the things to be, uh, to be aware of when, when we're, you know, if we are desk bound, i.e. sitting down all day and then we are going to go out running in the evening. Yeah. So, so first of all, your body's going to adapt to the thing you do the most. Right. Yeah. Um, so you've got eight, nine hours at a desk. And then you want to combat that with a 40-minute, 60-minute run in the evening. Mm. Yeah, the, you, you put those two things on, on an old-fashioned scale and you know which one's going to win. Yeah. So well, one of the things about the glute muscle is if we spend a lot of time sitting, mm-hmm. that muscle becomes a little – it can become longer in, in, in a certain direction and it can become tight in another direction, yeah. um, which is the antithesis of what we want for our running glute muscle, yeah. which is one of the key providers of our, of our strength for, for our stride, for our uh, hip extension. So by sitting down a lot, our bum's going to get potentially a bit overstretched in some areas a bit short. It's going to mm-hmm. become very stupid because it's not, being, it's not got the stimulus right. and therefore it's going to become underactive as part of the running gait cycle. And so people have heard of glute activation and they don't really understand what that means. Well, if you've, if you plonked it on a seat for a long period of time, we need to get it activated and, and we need to make sure it's working in the way that we want to use it. So it's, it's as much about getting the neurological stimulus into that glute as it is about getting the strength into the glute because you yeah. need 
the brain to be sending the message and getting that timing correct and you need the strength to be there once that connection is made right so um three key exercises for the glutes for people that sit down a lot and most well all three of them actually you lying on your stomach or being in, okay. a, in a, a plank position you could do mm -hmm. one so lay on your stomach one leg at a time for this one bend your knee to 90 degrees and, and then you have your ankle at 90 degrees uh, and you it should be so you could rest a tray of drinks on your foot so okay. you're lying on your tummy you bent your yeah. foot up and your foot is there and could accept a tray of drinks and then what you're going to do is you're going to tense your glute muscle yeah and you're going to lift your foot up into the air and the imagery we use is don't spill any of those drinks on that tray right and that way we're getting the best contraction of that glute mm -hmm. because if we if we contract the hamstring the tray falls off yeah if we if we do anything with the calf muscle to help the tray falls off if right. we start using our lower back, the tray falls off. So, so by, by having that imagery in your head, you can be fairly certain you're activating the glutes. Yeah. And if you did five lots of five reps of lifting this imaginary tray up in the air, you would have gone a long way to activating your glutes. You then go for your run, and because your glutes are activated, they will be they'll have a bigger job to do when you're running and that would be really specific. Remember our three laws of, of the strength mm -hmm. training, specificity. The next one is in the same position, but now both legs together. Right. But this time, bring the little toes of your feet together. Okay. So you create a triangle between feet and knees, if you yep. were to look at it from the back. And squeeze that together and then lift your knees or thighs off the floor. And you will feel a very, very strong contraction coming from your glute muscles. Right. Very, very strong. So much so that people that lack the basic strength in their glutes and question should they be running with that, with that low level of strength will struggle to lift their thighs off, not even five times, but once. Right, okay. And then you take that more towards a muscle called the piriformis that lies deep in the glutes. Mm -hmm. Anyone that's, that's had... Uh, sciatic type pain and been told it's piriformis syndrome this is a good one and this is where you create a figure four so just so we can do the imagery of this so people can yeah. get it you're lying on your front and both legs are flat yep you're just lying straight out like like a plank position yeah but you're flat on your tummy um take one leg out to the side like a windscreen uh, okay. wiper so the leg yep. is still flat bend the knee and fold the foot onto the back of the strength, uh, straight legs. So you're right. with your legs, you're creating a number four. Yeah. yeah. If you can picture that. Now, without lifting your hips and without lifting uh, either foot, can you lift your knee up, the bent knee, off the floor? Right. Yeah. And for many people, it's a bit like that trick you do with your hands where you, you, you bend one finger up and can you lift one of the other fingers off if, if yeah. you've ever done that. Um, you will find it very, very difficult to lift that knee off the floor. Okay. So, so if you work at a desk, start working on lifting your tray of drinks. Then put the little toes together, create the triangle between the knees and the feet, and start lifting up. You'll feel a big contraction. You will be able to do it, but you'll find it very difficult to do. Then yeah. go into that figure four position and see whether you can lift your knee off. And if you can't, Keep working at those cycle of those three events because even if you can't lift the knee off, the very fact that you're trying 
is improving the neurological link with those muscles. And within a couple of short weeks, you'll then be able to lift the knee off and start working on the strength. The neurology needs to be there in order to access the strength. So keep badgering away at that and you'll have, you'll, you'll, you'll have a bum like a nectarine. It'll be, it'll be a fully working tight uh, uh, unit. And yeah. you know what? If you do that, I'll predict that you'll run faster. Yeah. Now, for me, around the glute activation, I found out many years ago after doing a longer distance that my glutes weren't activating because I'd get, I don't know, 26 to 28 Ks into a run and my hamstrings would be on fire. Um, and I put that down at that point to the fact that I just wasn't flexible enough. I subsequently found out that it was my glutes weren't engaged and they obviously weren't um, activating as, as I was running, particularly as I was getting fatigued. I was running more from, from the hamstrings than I was the glute muscle so is that would, would you say that's a good way to determine how the glutes are activating or, or not yeah so so one of the the unhappy byproducts of inactive glutes is that they can't do their job yeah and their job is to extend the hips so think about the back part of your stride so as you yeah as you plant your foot your body's transition forwards and then you're going to lift the foot up and back so that hip extension isn't being done primarily by the glute, which it should be. So the only thing that can take over is the hamstring. Now, the hamstring is a weak hip extensor, but right. its primary job, let's yep. be honest, is to bend the knee. Yep. So if your glute's working properly, that will do the heavy lifting in terms of extending the hip. And right. it will ask the hamstring to come in as part of a co-contraction to help with that last little bit but mm -hmm. to make sure that we bend the knees so that we don't trip over as we're running forwards yeah so if your glutes aren't active the hamstring's got to do all of that mm -hmm. and it won't be able to do it for very long before it starts complaining right. now you got i think said to about 25k mm. before it was really um complaining and as you will know if it complains too much it can be the end of your run and yeah. each time you go back into it you then go, oh, I've got tight hamstrings. Well, of course they're tightening up. They don't want to do that job either, mm. but there's no one else down that, that, that production line to be able to reach out to to do the, the job. Mm. The only thing maybe is your adductors might be able to start kicking in, but then you've got to have a, an intern toe to even think about lifting your leg right. back. That creates knee problems. It, it, it all just you know sucker punches out. So, yeah. so you protect that whole change in the kinetic chain by making sure that your glutes are active and yep. people have had long-standing hamstring problems and they've had the massage and they've been stretching them and strengthening them if you haven't looked at your glutes i'll almost guarantee they're the problem yeah absolutely it was definitely uh, in my case because i can now feel when i do a long run my glutes are you know, either feeling the tension or, or and, and that for me now just tells me that they're firing, which, which I believe yeah. to be a good thing. So moving up from there then, Paul, lower back problems. What are, what do you see the main causes of lower back problems? Obviously coming back to the kind of desk analogy of people sitting at a desk all day, you know, can that cause, is that, the cause because the people are sitting down like the 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 hips are a funny uh 
shape or they're not the, the hips are not being flexed or what can cause the lower back problems yeah i mean there's there's so much that can cause right. lower back problems um sitting at so so this this transitions nicely on from the glutes because also when you're sitting down you've got around a 90 degree flex position at the hip yeah, yeah that's what i was trying the to say glutes <laughs> are being made long um and your hip flexors originate from the lower back and they come through and attach onto the hip. Their yeah. job is to flex the hip, bring the knee up closer yeah. to the torso. So if you're sitting in that position all that time, those muscles can become very, very strong in that position and not overly strong when they're stretched out and they can become a bit short. Yeah. So when you go for a run, you want that glute activity, you want the, the leg to extend, you want to have that, that nice position. But if your hip flexors are really short, they're going to start to stop that movement from happening. Mm -hmm. And if you've got tight hip flexors, guess what? It doesn't help with the glute activation. Mm -hmm. It actually limits some of that. So the hip flexors originate from the back. The hip flexors are very, very um, resilient muscle when you compare it to the sensitivities of a lower back. Yeah. So the fact they originate from the lower four lumbar vertebra mm -hmm. means that when they get tight and they start to pull, it's not the hip flexor that's going to be called into question, it's the lower back. So right. let's think about the anatomy of the lower back. We've got these um, segments of bone that make up the spine, these spinal segments, uh, and, you know, there's so many in the lumbar spine, so many in the thoracic spine where the ribs are present. And, and then you've got uh, a few in the, in the cervical spine, the neck. And each of them, although they change as they go up the spine, these ones in the lumbar spine, they've got a disc in between each of the, the larger portion. But mm -hmm. coming out of the back, it has almost like a, a shark's fin, which is the, if you reach around to your back, you can feel that knobbly bit of your spine. Yeah. And that's actually the shark's fin, if you like, that comes off the back. And either side of that are these two little ears called the facet joints. And right. they, they, they rest onto, the, um, onto the, the next segment below. Now, the facet joints are designed to take about 20% of our weight okay. through the body. And where the disc is, is supposed to take 80%. Yeah. And one of the, the biggest things that I see when someone comes in and says they've got back pain is that they've actually transitioned onto that facet joint that's only supposed to take 20%, and they're loading that with a much, much higher percentage of their body weight. Yeah. In effect, they've had a positional change. Their spine isn't out. It doesn't need moving back in. That's, that's really uh, old scientific speak and, and really erroneous and, and shouldn't be used but they've just managed to load that that portion yeah. of the spine too much um, and so what we need to do is is to think about the strength within the deep core we need to think about the flexibility of these muscles but in runners i find that underactive glutes and very very tight hip flexors are a large part of the reason that this has been caused. And what we do to treat the facet joints is, is great and varied and depends on the individual. But yeah. re-establishing the hip flexor glute, even ha into hamstring uh, setup, is, is the greatest way to resolve that long term. Yeah. Um, and, and I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm being very broad about this because it's one of those things where I would spend a lot of time with somebody on um, 
in person in the clinic here in in sunny Northumberland yeah. or indeed I see a large portion of my clients online via iChat Physio where I can actually watch what they're doing over Zoom and, and that means that I'm treating people all over the world by being able to see this but it's very difficult to give a blanket approach yeah. but make sure your glutes are firing and strong make sure your hip flexors are getting some stretch um, particularly if you're seated for a long period of time and you'll be 70 to 80% of the way there. Cool. Okay. So, so just to quickly summarize them, we've talked about um, the shin splints. We've talked about the knee. We talked about hamstring, um, obviously the glutes. Uh, and then we've talked about kind of hip flexors, lower back. Is there any one, is there one other common thing that you, that you see that, that is worth mentioning? Yeah, I mean, the, the Achilles tendon, there'll be, right. whenever I do big talks to people and I say, right, who's injured? Yeah. And, and 50, 60% of the hands will go up. Right. And I say, right, leave your hand up if you've got a knee problem. And, and that tends to have the, the biggest um, proportion. And then I say, okay, and, and now put your hand up if you've got an Achilles problem. And the numbers, depending upon the group and the age of the group, and all this sort of stuff, the numbers will be relatively the same. Right. Yeah. Um, but the knee tends to transcend a wider age group. Mm-hmm. Achilles is, if you were to, to get that middle-aged man and you had a room full of, of just middle-aged men, which yeah. is, is potentially what we're looking at here, given the yeah. name of your podcast, um, it would be like a Mexican wave uh, right. of, of who had Achilles problem. Um, and, and one of the things that I say to people in this age bracket, which I'm in myself, is that the rehabilitation exercises for the Achilles tendon, that is a life sentence. You keep right. doing those for all the time that you want to run. Okay. And, and this is the biggest message because many people know about doing heel raises and, yep. uh, and a few people know about shockwave therapy on the Achilles from, from our previous podcast. And those two things are vital. And I don't want to just regurgitate all the stuff we did last time. Yeah. But this point is, is, is really, really key. When we're not in pain, we forget to do the exercises. And it's completely <laughs> the wrong way around. Yeah. Do the exercises so we never have to remember what that pain feels like. Because yeah. if you're doing them regularly. So when we're rehabilitating somebody from an Achilles, they start from they do two, two weeks of alternate day isometric exercises standing on your tiptoes hold it for 45 seconds repeat five times don't do it the next day because you're you're the whole complex is still recovering from that and you will make it worse if you do it every day right the next day comes along do it again make sure there's sufficient load i weight rucksack on your back to be making that 45 seconds difficult after two weeks move to heavy slow resistance which is stand on a step Go up slowly for six seconds. Don't pause and come down slowly for six seconds. And you repeat that 15 times and you repeat those 15 repetitions three to five times okay. every other day. Make yeah. it heavy enough so that it's challenging. When we're completing that, we then go to eccentric loading, which is just lowering down. But for the purpose of what I'm saying here, that heavy, slow resistance off a step, 15 reps, three times, two or three times a week yeah. is what you should be doing with the single leg squat and, and the glute activation stuff as your core 
set of exercises each week if you are indeed a middle-aged man who wants to keep running and doesn't want Achilles tendinopathy, doesn't want the knee pain and doesn't want their, their glutes to create the whole plethora of things that they will create if, if they're not looked after. Yeah. <clears throat> so three times a week, we've just given you a maximum of eight minutes worth yeah. of, of activity to do. Yeah. So if you don't have 24 minutes available in your week to support your running, um, get up earlier, go to <laughs> yeah. bed a bit later, <laughs> yeah. have, a, have a little bit of a shorter time on yeah. your mobile device or, or whatever on your lunch break. Yeah. If you can't find that 24 minutes a week, um, then, then just stop now. Yeah. <laughs> just stop now because there is no excuse in life no. That, that lead me to believe that, that you're telling the truth, that you can't shoehorn that in. Yeah, I, de- I know. I, I completely um, agree with that. And the other thing, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but by doing all of this, by, by doing the maintenance, as, as, as you want if we want to call it that, um, you actually will find running easier. Um, and I can, you know, I can relate to that because that coming back to the whole glutes thing now i've switched my glutes on at a back end of a long run i might be fatigued but i don't feel like it's a you know i'm really trying to drag the the road along or drag myself along the road so i think it just will make it i think that's the word i'm looking for it will make you a more an efficient runner by having this as a process as part of your running so it's not just putting your trainers on going out running it's like a precursor to it. Yes. So if you run because you want to become a faster runner or if you run because you want to lose weight or for your mental health or the plethora of things, the things that will stop you running, a lack of time, lack of motivation and injury. Yeah. Yeah. Now, lack of motivation, I'll leave that to you, Darren, because you've got a great (laughs) podcast and, and, and you're doing that. Uh, lack of time, get up earlier, yep. stop making excuses. Lack of injury, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying next because you will not achieve your goal of going faster, uh, helping your mental health, losing weight if you have time out through injury. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what runners think is that a 24-minute run adi- additional in my running week is going to help me achieve my goal far more than 24 minutes of strength conditioning and that's a complete lie yeah because if you do the 24 minutes of strength conditioning each week instead of that 24 minute run Mm. your biomechanics are going to be better you will run faster it is free speed you'll have less time out you'll have less time out because of injury therefore you'll have put more running sessions in per year so you will be thinner fitter your mental health will be all the things we've spoken about if you look at it over a year if you just want to look at it as a week that 24 minutes they are all junk miles in comparison to what that 24 minutes of strength conditioning will do for you and i will put it in a tablet of stone that if somebody were to do that that brick by brick i would eat my house if it didn't work yeah yeah. And the reason I can say that with such certainty is, A, I know it will work, and B, I've worked with runners nearly my whole life, and there isn't one of them out there that will go off and do exactly what I've said, because 
They all want the buzz of the run. Yes. And so they do that. Yeah. And they just don't hear you. And I sometimes feel like, you know, the, the, the vegan or the crossfitter or the (laughs) atheist that, you know, that, that just wants to drill into everyone. This is, this is my, you know, you know that Ricky Gervais is going to tell you that, you know, Christianity is a mockery. You know that, You know, the, the CrossFitters going to talk about that within the first eight seconds of seeing, you know, these things. And none of those people are necessarily wrong. But I know that I'm right. But that makes me evangelical about it, it makes me bang on about it all the time. Yeah, I'm yeah. probably not the most popular person because what yeah. they want to hear, you put an extra run in and, and, and you'll be a better runner. Yeah. Which is true to a point, but it's clickbait compared to what I'm telling you, which is real, genuine, proven advice that strength conditioning would do more for you than the run yeah and and i'm saying that and i'm agreeing with you and i'm nodding my head and the only reason for that is that i have found out through injury so you know like you're saying people don't listen to you necessarily until they're forced to through injury and what we're trying to say what you're trying to say is there's no need to go to that point you know to, to actually learn about it. We, we're giving you I- information and advice that you can take away and so that you don't have to have that injury because it is, you know, if we talk about the whole mental health thing, you know, when you can't run, that does affect you. That does, you know, all the endorphins and everything that you get from running and the buzz you get from running, you can't do when you're injured. So don't get injured is, you know, is, is the message that you're trying to put out there really. And I, yeah, I completely agree, Paul. I think, um, you know, even from the, the first part podcast we did i've implemented now just the walking lunges before i run and that has made the start of my run so much more pleasurable because i'm starting at a, a, in a place where i'm a lot more looser you know i'm not the first couple of k i'm not trying to hound the pavement because you know i'm i'm like i feel lighter on my feet i don't know where that's supposed to happen but that's what happens yeah, um, you've you've improved the flexibility. You've you've activated your glutes in 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 some way, um, and and you've got everything ready to go for the run. Rather than getting back from work and oh, I'll quickly flip my trainers on because you know if I get stuck into that I won't go yeah. and, and off you go. Or lunchtime, you know you you put the computer on sleep mode and and you rush out yeah. for your run and you eat your sandwich at the desk and and you miss out and all that. Sometimes that's needed. Yeah, fit runs in. I get that, mm. but we're only asking for for twenty eight minutes. And, and make no mistake, I'm saving you money. Right? Yeah. And, and I I am expensive. Right? I yeah. I I believe in my fee because I spent a long time getting to the point where I know all the things that I know, and I believe that I get the person back better, quicker. So it's false economy, perhaps, to think of me as expensive. The reason that I I I say so readily that I'm expensive is because people go and see lots and lots of other people mm-hmm. and think that paying 35 pounds or 50 pounds or whatever, uh, it's, I'm going to see a physio and get better outcome. And they, the majority of people that turn up, to see me have already spent 2000 pounds yeah. trying to get a resolution. And then they come in and they see my prices and you see the little tear come down their cheek. <laughs> but but you know, had they come from the first instance, yeah, yeah, I still would have seemed expensive. But I've been cheaper in the long run, and I don't have enough space in my diary to hang on to people. 
I want you in, I want the minimal amount of input and I want you out again fixed. Yeah. And so you end up with this reputation of people coming to see you because it's like, oh, you're the end of the line and, you know, emptying out the piggy bank sort of thing. <laughs> and and it, it doesn't make you feel good, but you're like, well, um, I'm pretty confident that the, the structure I'm going to put in place is going to work. Mm. I'm literally giving the listeners to this podcast all the things they need. I'm doing myself out of job. I'm giving them everything <laughs> they need not to ever have yeah. to go through the journey. And yeah. still, when I wrote Running Free of Injuries, uh, uh, my first book, I put it in the front there that only 7% of the people that read this book will do everything contained in it. So I can say all this, and I know that 93% yeah. Yeah. are still going to come grapes and in. So, yeah. you know, the, the, the fact is, 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 you know, buy right, buy once, but you don't even need to do that if you follow. <laughs> There's loads of experience there. Yeah. Follow what's being said and, and don't ever meet me. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from on the podcast, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's fantastic, Paul. Thanks very much for, for going into that. Um, that was the whole reason I asked you to come back on because I've had so many people that have contacted me recently because they're injured and they can't work out and all the rest of it and then you see people out running and it's just really like you say please 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 take heed of what Paul's saying and implement it and you won't have these issues so yeah fantastic Paul but before I let you go is there anything that I didn't ask you feel I should have asked you no I mean this is we we could go on we could still yeah. be here in, in a week's time I think that that you know doing these things and really drilling down on two or three injuries is is much better than trying to give a, a scatter blast yeah. of, of everything. Um, I, when you work one on one with somebody, either uh, say virtually with iChat Physio or when they come into the clinic, um, it is a different experience. I, I it has to be personalised to that individual. And yeah. when you're doing stuff, you you give out, I believe, still really brilliant advice, which can be implemented by everybody, but but each person's got that personal journey and um, and it's amazing when you actually start getting stuck into it. The most common thing people say, nobody's ever pointed that out to me. Before. Yeah. No one's ever showed it to me before. They've looked at themselves in the mirror all the time and, and they don't see it. And and that's one of the, the benefits of, of, you know, visually being able to see someone in front of you either, you know, mm-hmm. via, via the iChat service where you were doing exactly this on, on yeah. Zoom. Uh, and I'm getting you to move around and float around the room or, or when they come into the clinic. And it's, um, it's, it's those moments, which is why I love my job mm. because you put that drop of oil in the right place yeah, and you make that difference. Yeah. And, and, and then you get the, the person coming back to you going, my God, I, I've, I've never felt, you know, just your thing about doing the lunges and you now enjoy the first four minutes of your run. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's all I need, you know, that's all yeah. I need in life. But things like yeah. that, it's just amazing. Yeah, well, I, I find it absolutely fascinating. I've got to be honest, Paul. I find it, the, the way that it all works and the way that it all fits together and if you do this simple stuff the dramatic and i'm not underestimating you know I, i'm kind of trying to oversell this the, the dramatic effects that it can have just you know if we take running out of it you know just general mobility as you get older what that's something that i've realized and i respect more now than anything and that is my mobility outside of all the fitness and I don't want to be getting to 70 years old where I can't move or anything like that. So if I do this stuff now, 
it will help you know in the future yeah absolutely and use it or lose it you exactly. know uh, if if you have tight hips now age 40 or you know and you don't do anything about it they're not going to get looser no. when you're 58 or 68 or 78 yeah. and people in that age, those age categories listening will go yeah i wish i could have told my 40 year old self that yeah. because your adaptation speed at the younger age is far quicker than that when you get older so yeah. use it or lose it get the hard yards done now and then you'll just be maintaining it absolutely so paul um you mentioned about a book have you got a new book coming out or anything like that I, I'm, I'm writing my third one. I, I, right. I started off in I think 2016, Running Free of Injuries came out, um, yeah. which is like the self-diagnosis, self-treatment right the way you know through. Yeah. Uh, and then this whole mobility thing, which we've spoken about. Mm. Um, last year, I bought out the Runner's Expert Guide Stretching, which has got all the strength conditioning. It's got all those glute exercises in, actually, right. um, which uh, when the photo shoot, um, it was interesting because the the models couldn't necessarily do all the exercises, um, but but I don't know. I don't think I invented the exercise, but I can't find a picture of it anywhere else on Google right. or anything. Um, and and then I'm um, I'm working on a book called The Five Pillars of Running Performance, right. which is I'd, I'd like it actually to be an audio book. Um, so although I'm writing it, mm. it's more about you know, me interviewing people like Steve Cram and, and Paul Reckless like that, you know, what are the things that made it successful for you? Talking to eminent sports psychologists, explain to us what the things we could do around the sports psychology. Yeah. Strength conditioning experts, what a great one that's joining us on the book. So athletes, physios, nutrition, what the five pillars of running success. Yeah. I know because I was an elite athlete back in the day in a former life that, I was looked after by all of these different five pillars and wow. it made me a better athlete. Yeah. And nowadays people are becoming more serious about doing it at, should we say at more an amateur level. Yeah. And yeah. I wanted to be able to give people the same experience as the elite athletes by helping them with all of those five elements. And so this book is really designed at treating any runner at any level like they are Paula yeah. Radcliffe or, or, or Steve Cram and, and give them all of the things that they, that they really want and need. And it's never been done before. I'm thoroughly enjoying writing the book um, and I'm going to really enjoy recording it because yeah. it's one of the things is, as you've shown, you know, the audio thing, being able to listen to this as you're running along, I think it'll be very motivational. 100%. Listening to it in the car or mean you'd be checking the boots to see if your trainers are in. So I'm really <laughs> excited about it. Yeah, no, that's awesome, Paul. Yeah, I look forward for that coming out because I'll definitely, um, definitely be getting a copy. And and like you say, I, I it is at the kind of age group level that we're known now. People are way more into performance and how they can get these marginal gains and all the rest of it. So um, yeah, that would be uh, fascinating. But thanks again for your time today. I, I really uh, appreciate. I really appreciate, and I sincerely hope that people listening heed the advice. So, um, yeah, <laughs> let's see. Let's try and get more than 7% doing it. Then we'll, yeah. we'll buck the trend of science. <laughs> yeah. All right, Paul. Thanks very much. Cheers, Darren. Best of luck, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes 
All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes and a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.